will want to know Romans chapter 2, and then we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We shall begin in Romans 2, and then we will go to Ecclesiastes, and then in the latter part of the sermon, we will return to Romans 2. Now we note this evening, again, our 15th article of faith, the condition of the heathens. Here in Romans 2, and this is taken uh, right from the Articles of Faith, Romans 2 and verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now look over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here we find the Bible gives us the conclusion and I'm sure you're familiar with King Solomon. He is the wisest man that ever walked upon the face of the earth, save Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in this instance, about a thousand years before Jesus was virgin born, Solomon came to a conclusion. And here he tells us in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes in verse 13 and 14, He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now the Bible here tells us that Solomon in all of his ruminating, all of his meditating, all of his thinking... Twelve chapters worth, he comes to this grand conclusion, and it is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then he gives the reason why. And he tells us, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And That's as well concerning not just the lost, but those who are saved as well shall be judged. The secret things in their hearts, the good that they've done, as well as the evil. In fact, the Bible says God shall bring every work into judgment. The good, the evil, and the idle work shall all be judged. So we find that Solomon came to this conclusion. One writer stated, he said, regarding the book of Ecclesiastes, 
that this is the book of man under the sun, reasoning about life. It is the best man can do with the knowledge that there is a holy God and that he will bring everything into judgment. And that's what we're dealing with here this evening is the condition of the heathen. Now we want to define what we mean by heathen. There are different definitions, but we want to give this one here tonight. One who is not acquainted with the true God. That's our definition. A heathen is one who knows not the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible assures us, and I'm sure you're well aware of it, that just as there were Jewish heathens in Christ's day, there are Baptist heathens in our day. There are many who have their names on Baptist church rolls, and yet they are not acquainted with God. The Bible tells us, if you'll look with me, in Matthew chapter 7, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, in verse 23, we'll, we've made note of it before several times, and then we want to turn and look elsewhere in the Gospels. Matthew 7, in verse 23, the Bible tells us here, Jesus spoke in his day, and he said, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Then over to John, chapter 8. Here we find Jesus is speaking unto Jews, and they didn't know who God was. And so what we're noting is, is the condition of heathens, those who do not know God. Now, before we go any further, I'll say this as well. You have to look at the word heathen in the context it's used because sometimes in the New Testament it simply means the Gentiles and in contrast to the Jews. But for all purposes this evening, a heathen is one who doesn't know God, Jew or Gentile. Anyone, and in the day that you and I now live, anyone who is not saved by the Lord Jesus Christ is a heathen. Whether they fall into the sphere of Christendom or Christianity, people who profess to be saved, yet if they do not know the Lord truly as their Savior, they're a heathen. So too are several Jews. Paul himself, though he was a religious zealot, a Pharisee, yet he was a heathen because he knew not God until the Lord saved him. But here in John chapter 8, you note here with us, Jesus and the uh, Pharisees going back and forth. Jesus teaching, the Pharisees rejecting. But begin at verse 52, if you would, and you may read this entire chapter and see how often Jesus uh, reveals to them that they didn't know God at all. Because the Jews were those, and they always said, well, we have Abraham as our father. Well, so what if God's not your father? Doesn't really matter, because Abraham couldn't do anything for him anyways. But John 8, verse 52. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil, or a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. 
Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him. But I know him, and if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Now we'll stop there. But you see here in this scripture that these Jews, though they were of the seed of Abraham physically, they knew not God the Father spiritually as Abraham did. They were Jews, yet heathen Jews at that, because they didn't know God. But what we want you to note here, as well as we come, and we'll note our whole article of faith this evening, but that there are a great deal of people on this earth today who are not acquainted with God. They don't know him. They don't recognize him as God. They refuse to. Though there are many lights that guide him to guide them to him, yet they are not acquainted with him. Many worship God ignorantly. Perhaps you remember not long ago there on Mars Hill when Paul said that he preached unto them the unknown God whom they ignorantly worship. And that's what a lot of people do. They think they're really worshiping God, but they're not. They're ignorant of who he is. Now our first point this evening in our article of faith, faith is the first half of that article in Romans chapter 10. And the Bible tells us that all those, and we take it from the Bible, but our articles of faith tell us that all accountable persons, that they must be saved by the preaching and receiving of the gospel. And here in Romans chapter 10, the Bible tells us, and I remember this scripture was read by one of your own brothers the very first Sunday that we were here. And it tells us here in Romans 10 and verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now note verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now our first point in our article of faith this morning or this evening rather is this that salvation comes by faith in hearing of the gospel. You remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 
He said, if any other preach another gospel, which is not a gospel, let him be accursed. Why is that? Because the gospel is essential unto salvation. No man, woman, boy, or girl can be saved without it. As Paul wrote here, it is the gospel of peace. It is the glad tidings of good things. And so this is why it must come. This is the means. Let us never forget that when God predestinated and chose and elected his people, he is well preordained, foreordained, predestinated, whichever word you want to use, the means whereby they would be saved. And that was none other than the preaching of the gospel. Hold your place here in Romans 10 and turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Bible tells us that they heard the gospel preached and were saved because they believed. You know, it never ceases to amaze me when we come across a fatalist or an Armenian, whichever they may be, well, they always seem to cross themselves up. Now, you talk to a fatalist and they'll say, mission work is not needed because God will save all whom he has chosen. Then you say, well, how are they going to be saved? And they say, well, God will bring them and they'll hear the gospel. And yet they deny that the gospel is not necessary. They'll say these things aren't needed. And yet they'll say, well, God will bring them under it. You see, they contradict themselves. Then you got the Armenian who believes that a sinner comes to Christ of his own free choice and free accord and all these other things. And yet he still, when he prays, he cries out, God save him. It's utter ridiculousness. They contradict themselves and their beliefs. But Paul lays it right here down the line in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. He tells us, but we are bound to give thanks. All wait to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God calls by the gospel. And we've read numerous times in Romans chapter 8, where the Bible tells us that those whom he predestinated, he foreknew. And those whom he foreknew, he chose. And those whom he chose, he calls. And the calling is by the gospel. And that's what our articles of faith state. That one, in order to be saved, they must have the gospel preached. And certainly that is so. There's never been a single person saved without the gospel. Look back all the way to Genesis. And again, uh, if you have a marker or something put there in Romans, we'll return there. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. You know, it's been the same since the beginning that the heathens, those who didn't know God, were saved through the preaching of the gospel from the beginning. Even here, people say, well, the Jews were saved differently. Oh, no, they weren't. 
They were saved by faith. They were saved by grace through faith, as the Bible tells us. Note here in Genesis chapter 3, and if you would, verse 9, we'll read this first. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? What a question. God asked Adam after he had sinned. And you remember the Bible tells us that God walked through the garden and Adam and Eve hid themselves and God called out unto Adam. He said, Adam, where art thou? Now God knew exactly where he was. He knew Adam was in sin. Because the question here was in a rhetorical fashion. He was not... Uh, trying to have an answer, but he was trying to show Adam where he was. He said, Adam, where art thou? What piercing words. When the Almighty God calls unto a sinner and asks them, where are you? Well, the proper answer is, I'm dead. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And the Bible shows us that Adam knew all of these things. He said, where art thou? And if Adam compared, he said, I used to have fellowship with God, but now my fellowship with God is broken. That's where I'm at, with no fellowship. Where am I? I used to have life. Now I'm dead. That's where Adam was. But the point we want you to note here is that God called unto Adam. In that, right there specifically, he said, and the Lord God called unto Adam. Now that's an irresistible call. That's a specific call. He called right unto him and he said, Adam. Just like Jesus did with Lazarus when he said, Lazarus, come forth. He says, Adam, where art thou? In fact, these are the first words that God says to the sinner. He says, where art thou? Boy, I tell you what, he tells us that as well. Doesn't God ask you that question? After he gets a hold of you, he says, where art thou? Where are you at? Because you're not with me. He reveals to you that you're dead in your trespasses and sins and that you're on your way to hell and that you need Jesus to be crucified, to be buried, and to rise again. You need the gospel. And that's exactly what the Lord told him. Now, secondly, this evening, we said that all accountable persons must have the gospel preached and receive the gospel. Look to John chapter 3. And this is where we spoke there. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can one preach except he be sent? You see, all things are done by the Lord. He sends the preacher. He gives the words to the preacher, and then he takes those words and makes them effective. It's just like Paul said there. He said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Well, you take a farmer today, where did he get his seed from? And where did the first farmer get the first seed from? He got it from God. Where did the water come from? It came from God. It's all of God. Every bit of it, none of it, is of man. Now the Bible says we must receive. And here in John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, I'll be honest. I've searched in about six different dictionaries regarding the definitions of the words accept and receive. And I heard one fellow, he said, lost sinners don't accept Jesus, they receive him. Well, I tell you what, I, I can't find the difference between the words. In fact, when I looked up accept, it used receive to define the word accept. And when I looked up received, it used the word accept to define the word receive. And so people want to split hairs about things. They'll say, oh, man doesn't accept God, he receives him. Jesus is a gift. And it all comes back to this one point. And we have labored intensively several times before. No one will receive this gift from God unless God makes them able to receive it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Because in all honesty, man, not affected by God, will reject the eternal life given by Jesus because he doesn't think he needs it. No one believes they need Jesus unless God has revealed it to them. And then they freely ask God for the gift. And it's all perfect with sovereign grace. It's all perfect with man's responsibility. Because remember what uh, the preacher said there in Ecclesiastes says, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Well, what's one of the commandments of God? Repent. What's another one of God's commandments? Seek the Lord while he may be found. And yet none seek after him. But the Bible tells us regarding all of these things that the gospel must be preached and the Lord will take it and make it effective in hearts and lives that folks will accept or receive it. In fact, the Bible says upon a number of occasions, thy faith hath made thee whole. According to thy faith, so be it unto you. It doesn't say according to God's faith. God doesn't need faith. He's God. God is the substance of what we believe on. God doesn't need to believe. He is God. And yet people want to talk about all the things that God does for you. Salvation is of the Lord. I agree with that. And the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, the Bible tells us. But don't sit there on the log thinking God will do your believing or God will do your repenting because that just won't happen. He'll lead you to it. He'll give you the grace and strength. He'll give you the desire to do it. And at the same time, this robs God of no glory, robs God of no, none of his sovereignty, the fact that man has a responsibility to seek God. Now we come as well here. And while you're in John, just look over into the fourth chapter in verse 4. The Bible tells us here, and this really does it. The Bible says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now this really seals the deal because if you read on, you know what took place? The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, whatever name you want to call her by, 
Jesus had to go to her that she might be saved. The gospel had to be preached, else she never would believe. Now, thirdly, we come now to the second half of our article of faith, and that is the condition of the heathen. You might now return to Romans chapter 10. The condition of the heathen is this. And again, our definition of heathen that we're dealing with is those who are not acquainted or who know not God. And that is this. They're dead. Because God is life. God is life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall not perish. And so the Bible tells us here in Romans chapter 10, and you look here with us, it says, For whosoever shall call, verse 13, I apologize, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. Now that goes, people say, well, that doesn't mean what it means. Well, let's look up into verse 12 and see what it means. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For unto the same Lord, or for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. What he's saying is, is this. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, whosoever calls on the Lord will be saved. The Jews have no advantages over the Gentiles as far as the gospel is concerned because salvation comes by grace through faith. Now the condition of the heathen. And we read to you here in Romans 10 and now let's turn back to Romans 2. Our text. The Bible here gives us several things concerning it. Now Paul tells us, and we want to go through these verses here that we read previously. He tells us in verse 12, he says, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now skip down all the way to verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, According to my gospel. Now if you notice verse 13, 14, and 15 are in parentheses. So that's why we skipped all the way down to verse 16. And this is what it says. And we'll go back and include these three verses. But the Bible tells us. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. What Paul is saying is this. That the heathen, those who knew not God and didn't have the revelation of God's law and they died never having the Mosaic law, they're still dead in their sins and they'll be judged not by the law. Not by the law that God gave unto Israel through Moses, but they'll be judged by the moral law written on their hearts. Now you think about that, and you find out there a husband and wife who are lost. And I use this example again, we've said we used it for this reason. But you take a man and a woman who are married, and they're both lost, and you take that woman or that man, and they commit adultery, 
And don't you think that other lost spouse is going to be upset about it? Why is that? Because in their moral hearts, that law is written there. Because remember, marriage was instituted by God before the Mosaic law was. He instituted it there before even Adam and Eve fell from their first estate. Because Adam said that a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife. That was already instituted. And they already knew better because God had given it to them. It was on their conscience. And so God says, I don't need the law to judge them. I don't need these Ten Commandments to judge people. He says they know right or wrong. I honestly believe that there's a lot of people who know the difference between right and wrong. But because of sin, their consciences have been absolutely seared. It's kind of like when you go into a room and it's completely dark and it takes you a while and you get your bearings and then you can see. You can see pretty good. People have gotten used to the dark. That sin doesn't bother us anymore. Things that went on today, that are going on this very day, 50 years ago were considered heresies and apostasies and outright flamboyant sins. And now they are socially acceptable. And people don't think a thing's wrong with them. The world is fast ripening for the Lord's return. But we have here, the Bible tells us, look in Romans 2 and verse 12, then he goes on, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. So the Bible tells us, he said, God's going to judge whether they had the law or they didn't. People say, well, what about all these indigenous peoples? What about Native Americans or Indians or whatever you want to call them? They had the lighter nature. They knew there was a holy God. Look over here in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 and verse 18. There are three lights. Three lights in this world. Note the first light. The light of nature. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Now know, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul tells us here in verses 19 and 20 that the light of nature or creation gives evidence that God exists and he's to be worshipped. Psalms 119 or Psalms 119 and verse 1 says regarding that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork. And now what the Bible tells us or something to that effect, it shows us that everyone is without excuse. You walk out your door and you see everything in all this world. How can you not believe there's a God? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. The Bible tells us, verse 23 of Romans 1, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man 
and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So what happened was is man went down in sin and he kept going. He was totally depraved and began to manifest himself that he thought that some golden image that had a man's head and a horse's hooves and eagle's wings, that that was a God that created all the things that we see. Well, the light of nature doesn't teach us that at all. And again, I reiterate, if people think that this world came about by evolution, then how come in the past uh, thousand years, or even in the past 300 years, where we have very good historical uh, people have kept good historical records. Where in the world is the last man who walked out of the ocean from some cell or some fish? People say, well, it happened billions of years ago. It's a process. Well, again, one billion years from today, there must have been something that was beginning to become a man. And now it's his time to come forth out of the ocean. If people really believe in evolution... Where's the person who's walking out who used to be a fish? I don't understand that. And if humanity, again, if humanity is the pinnacle or the top of evolution, my goodness. Humanity are the only ones who kill other human beings for sport. They're the only ones. Animals don't even do that. They kill for food, for protection. To preserve life. Human beings kill for sport. And we're supposedly the top of the food chain. As that saying goes. But this is what the light of nature says. This is the light to the heathens. The firmament is the expansion of the universe. The space and the sky. In fact, nature teaches us a lot of things. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. Nature teaches us that. People say, I can't learn anything from nature. You can learn the fact that God exists and that he ought to be sought after and worshipped. Now secondly, there is the light of the law. God specifically has given this unto the Jews. If you refer there back to the Old Testament, there are a great many people. Look in Psalms 147 and verse 20. All the whole world was populated, but there were only these, uh, this one uh, group of people that had God's law. Psalms 147 and verse 20. It tells us here, he hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, or his commandments, or statutes, or precepts, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. What the psalmist says here is that his commandments, or his judgments, those decalogues, the mosaic, the Levitical laws that were given to God, or by God to the Jews, that the heathen nations didn't know them. But the Jews did. And so the Bible, as we read there in Romans, the heathens were going to be judged by nature and the Jews would be judged by the law. Now people say, well, how in the world then can they be judged? That's not fair. Again, remember, what if God were fair? And then you take a look here at these with the heathens and they say, well, they didn't know. 
Well, they had to know that God wasn't some golden ox. I mean, can you honestly think when Aaron, they got done, and I know these were Jews and, and the Israelites, and they came across the Red Sea, Moses up on Mount Sinai, and he plucked the earrings off, and he fashioned that golden calf, and he said, this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? He just made it. It never existed until that moment. That's how bad sin has taken effect on people's hearts and minds. That they will create a God after the fact and say, hey, remember what just happened about 20, 30 minutes ago? This God I just made, it did that. It doesn't even make sense. But that's what sin will do. There's a third light. If you know it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and that is the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. Again, the gospel is the preaching of the death or how Christ died, his burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. In Romans 1 and verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So here is the gospel. And then look over in first or second Corinthians. I apologize, second Corinthians chapter four. And note if you would here, regarding <clears throat> the gospel as a lie. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse three. Here the Bible tells us regarding the gospel. It says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now we want you to note here that the Bible speaks of the gospel as a light. And it shines forth. And you know what light does? It reveals. You go into a dark room, you click on the light, and the whole room lights up. It reveals everything in that room. The gospel reveals man is sinful, he's dead, and he needs a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. And that salvation, that, that can be had by faith. That's all the gospel reveals. Now, that's not all-inclusive or all-exclusive. But we note here that the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost so the gospel is a lie and it must be received in order for one to be saved and then what happens so these are the three lights the light of nature the light of the law and the light of the gospel that's why Jesus commanded the gospel to be preached unto all four corners of the earth now people say well, what about those who never heard of Jesus? They're still accountable unto God. Because, again, you remember what the preacher said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And then note Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Here the Bible tells us, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, Whosoever thou art that judgest. For when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same things. And again he said over in Romans chapter 
1 and verse 20, the very last phrase, so that they are without excuse. The light of nature, people see nature, and they ought to know that God is and he's to be worshipped. They're without excuse. Now we want you to note here, and I also believe our conscience bear witness of these things. I believe people, again, as we said that, people's consciences deep down really convict them that they're wrong. That's why when you go and you talk to a person about the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't want to have anything to do with it because their conscience has convicted them that they're guilty before God. And they're like an ostrich. They'd rather be eaten by a lion than to see the lion coming. That's what sin does. It's blinding. And we find in this very point, in Romans 2 and verse 15, it tells us, well, we need to read verse 14 and 15. It says here, for when the Gentiles, or again, remember we said that heathens also mean Gentiles in parts of the scriptures, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. You want to know why? That all people are not thieves. That all lost people don't steal. Because their conscience bears witness that stealing is wrong. You see, the Bible says that the law is written in their hearts and their conscience bear witness. And God will judge them by that. Because with that being written there, they should have sought after God. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11 as we prepare to close this evening. Matthew chapter 11. The Bible here shows us regarding all of these things. God is going to judge according to what was revealed unto individuals. And I'll, I'd be honest. That such is myself, and by the grace of God, sat under gospel preaching from the, before I was even brought forth out of the womb. That I would be held more accountable than many others. And we want to show that here in Matthew 11 and verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Because they repented not. Now remember that. They did not repent. Verse 21. Woe unto thee Chorazin. Woe unto thee Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you. Had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago. In sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you. It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee would have been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. 
And you already know what happened to Sodom. God destroyed it with brimstone and fire. And God said, if the same works that were done in Capernaum were done in Sodom, they would have repented and they would still be here today. How much more then will God judge those who heard the gospel than those who saw God by the light of nature? The gospel is far more revealing than the light of nature, yet the light of nature still reveals God. Now turn over to 1 Peter 4. And that's why I said what I said, that myself having sat under gospel preaching since before I was born in my mother's womb, how accountable was I unto God? Very accountable. Accountable my whole life. And then we find here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin in us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner be? appear so here's what Peter says they didn't obey the gospel and if God's going to judge those who did and repented and believed and he's still going to judge them and there will be weeping there at the judgment seat of Christ because every secret, every idol every good and every deed shall be judged, every idle word God will hold an accountable that has come forth or didn't come forth from the lips of his people. He's going to judge every one of us. And if he does that. What do you think is going to happen. At the great white throne judgment. When he judges the lost. Who heard the gospel. The Bible said there in Matthew 11. That mighty works were done. Remember John said. That not even if. He said the world couldn't contain the books. Of what the miracles Christ performed. While he was on this earth. It said the world couldn't contain the books. Now, I don't know if that means the amount or if the world couldn't fathom the things that God did. But whatever it means is this, that people will be held more accountable who heard the gospel than those who didn't hear it. And yet they'll all be judged. All will be judged. And that's why we preach the way we do at funerals because it'll be the only time some of those people will ever hear the gospel. And that's our responsibility. Judgment's up to God. Salvation's in the hands of the Lord, but it's our duty to preach the gospel to every creature. That's why we preach the way we do. If we believe in degrees of rewards, that some will have five crowns, some will have one crown, some will have no crowns, then we must believe in degrees of punishment. And that's what the Lord taught there in Matthew chapter 11. He said this, that Capernaum, he said, I did so much more for you. I preached. I came to you in person. Did all these mighty acts, and you didn't repent. He said, you're going to have a lot more, or as I heard my father say, the fire will be a whole lot hotter for Capernaum than it is for Sodom. That's the way it is. God will judge. And people say, what's the difference? Oh, I think the lost will know the difference. It's kind of like the difference of almost getting burnt and burning yourself. Almost, that's just warm. 
But when you burn yourself, well, that leaves a mark. Well, I tell you what, there's a lot of folks that God, they heard the gospel and they never repented. And it's not God's fault. The Bible says that they are without excuse. They did not repent. And so we pray that the Lord will save them, that he'll turn them. As we used to say or used to be said, turn or burn, repent or perish. That's the only alternative, repent or perish. May God help us is our prayer. We want to stand this evening and have a word of prayer, be in prayer for one another throughout the remainder of the week, your places of employment, your jobs, your family, your co-workers, your neighbors and friends. That Lord will give you opportunity to tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you. Let's bow our heads and we'll ask Brother Jeff if he might close in a word of prayer this evening.